We are reading this morning from Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we learn that Daniel is a young man. And Daniel is not in Israel. Daniel's in Babylon. Daniel is not home. Babylon's not where he was born. Babylon's not his people. Daniel is living in a place that is not his home. And this land is trying to reshape Daniel, trying to redefine who Daniel is. As we read this book of Daniel, we're going to learn some, some wisdom on how to live in a world that is not our home. Because we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't belong here either. We are meant for some other place. Deep down in our hearts, there is a longing for a world we have never seen. We long someday to be with our Father who we've never seen with our eyes, just with our hands. We are strangers in a strange land. So we learn, we talked about last week how when engaging culture, when engaging the world, there are different strategies we can use to engage the world. Some Christians like condemn the world. The world is bad. Some Christians copy the world. Some Christians critique the world. Some Christians, so we, can, we condemn, we critique, we copy, we consume the culture. We just eat it. Nom, 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 nom. We take what they give us. In this moment, Daniel's going to resist culture. He's going to say, I am not for this. This thing you want me to do, I do not want to do. And he gives us a reason. The question we're asked today is, when should I resist culture? When should I push back? 
When should I say this cultural value, this cultural artifact, I do not want to partake in it. So when do we push back? In Daniel 1.8, we find these words. But Daniel set in his heart. I love that. He resolved in his heart. He had a decision he made he was going to hold to. He set in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Twice this word is used, defile. Daniel says, I'm resisting this cultural moment because this cultural thing is going to defile me. It's going to make my heart dirty. I don't want to do it. So here's the principle. We can resist culture when it threatens to defile us before God. We can resist culture if it's going to defile you. A couple things to note about the text. Why does Daniel say this food and wine is going to defile him? Now, some people use this verse poorly. I know some vegans who say eating meat is evil. This verse shows eating meat is of the devil. Go PETA. Listen. I don't mean P like the bread. I mean P-E-T-A, that crazy organization that loves killing dogs. Um, so, it's a true story. Um, this is not about meat or wine. Daniel is not a teetotaler, okay? He's not a Baptist. What's happening here is something different. Daniel is Jewish, and the Jews have a dietary law. In Exodus Leviticus, God says, here are animals that are clean, here's animals that are unclean. It's called kosher. You ever buy kosher pickles? The best pickles? I used to live up by, uh, the, I, I, I lived in the Thumb for a while, and there was a pickle factory up there. What town was that in? Inlay City. There's a pickle factory in Inlay City. It smells terrible. Um, but when they make the pickles, a Jewish rabbi comes in, and he watches over the making of the pickles that are for the Jewish people to make sure they're kosher. He blesses them at some point in the process, and they become good Hebrew pickles. Okay. But it, listen, if you go to like New York City, there'll be some shops that say this shop serves kosher food, which means it follows the Old Testament dietary laws. So apparently a lot of people think that the food being given was against the laws God had given to the Hebrew people. Daniel's like, man, this food they're eating is food we can't partake in. It goes against the, the tenets of our faith handed down from God off Mount Sinai. This food would make me unclean. I would be disobedient to God to eat this. So for Daniel, this is a matter of principle, a matter of morality. This is, gonna, this is a question of, do I obey God or do I go with the flow? And Daniel says, I'm going to have to put the brakes on and not do this thing. I cannot do, this will defile me. That's the principle we start with. Cultural can't, culture can be resisted if it's going to defile us. This happens sometimes. There are things, okay, so when it comes to being defiled, this is a very personal issue between you and the Lord. Because here's a truth that we don't like to hear, but I think it's pretty true. How do you say it in the simplest way? 
As I pray to the Lord, as I seek the Lord, as I listen to the Lord, as I read His Word, there are things that God may say, this is not okay for you to do, that's okay for a different Christian to do. There are some things that I may not do that other believers in Christ can do. Let me give an example. I'll give, a, I'll give a very controversial example. I do not drink alcohol at all. Don't drink it. Because in my family history, alcohol abuse is part of our history and story. To this day, I have addictive tendencies. If I start, if I start a new hobby, I can't just put one toe in the new hobby. I jump in face first. I started, I started enjoying board games recently. And within six months, I had more board games than any of my friends. Like, if you go to my basement, there's this whole area of the basement that's board games. I, if you priced out all those games, I'd be afraid to know what I have done to my life. I, as, as, as an addictive person, I can't not go all in. So I know, for me, listen, I don't drink because I would drink to get drunk. And that is a sin before the Lord. Being drunk is a sin before God. And to me, it's the only reason I did it. <laughs> like, the reason I drink is when I was young, I drank to make the dog stop, stop barking. That's why I drink. I have friends who are believers in Christ who can drink in moderation. And that is okay before the Lord for them to do. In my prayer life, I said the Lord, the Lord said, this is not good for you, don't you do it. And so I personally, it's a personal conviction. I don't preach that as Bible fact. I can't. The personal conviction is not a universal truth for all followers of Christ. Do you understand? There are some things that might be bad for me that are not bad for you. If in your prayer life, as you read the scriptures, if the Lord whispers in your heart, and he does, the Lord's given us his Holy Spirit, and he speaks, the Lord tells you, this is not for you. You best obey that voice. Even if all your friends are doing it, even if you enjoy doing it, if God says this is bad for you, you best put that down. You resist culture when it threatens to defile you before God. For me, to engage in alcohol drinking, it would be a sin for me because God has told me clearly to put it down. There are things you may face in this life that are unique to you. We'll go over a few more as we go through. Let's say I'm praying through something. God says, this thing is bad for you. Put it down. So you lay it down. Listen, I've had friendships in my life. Good friends who I care about. And God has said in moments of prayer, this person is bad for you. You two bring out the worst of one another. You have to step back from this friendship. That's tough, man. This friendship is defiling me. It's like a step back from the thing. That's tough to do. 
So let's say there's something in your life that's defiling you and you want to resist it. How do we resist culture as believers in Christ? How does Daniel choose to resist culture in this moment? It goes forward. So verse 8, Daniel set in his heart, he resolved in his heart, he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. The first move is a crazy move. When Daniel resists the culture, he resists it with humility. He, res he resists with humility, and he teaches us something very important. When we resist culture, we should resist it with humility. Now, that is not the American way. We love big, we love brash, we love arrogance, we love making a scene and taking a stand, don't we? But what do we say here very often as a church? How you do something is as important as what you do. How you do something is as important as what you do. You can do the right thing in the wrong way and break a thing, can't you? Very easily. If the Lord says to you, this thing is not for you, when you resist that cultural artifact, you must do so with humility, with meekness, with gentleness. Let me paint a picture for how this might look. Give me an example of how this looks in our real lives. When I was 14 years old, I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I became a Christian. And as a Christian, one of the problems I had immediately was I was a cuss face. I, you might not know this, I just got a master's degree from Wheaton College. Before I got a master's from, from Wheaton, I got a PhD in how to cuss from many great teachers. I, I mean, I, I've studied under some of the masters. Um, I, was, I was a curse mouth. It's just what I was. I, I, I didn't know how to turn it off. I'd go to church, and I'd curse in the sanctuary. Everyone would stop, and I'd be like, what? I didn't even know it was bad. I just, it, it, was, it was bad, guys. So I said, I'm going I'm to stop. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to honor the Lord. I want to stop cursing, because this cultural artifact of swearing I gotta put this down. I wanna to minister to the souls of people. I wanna honor God with my speech. I gotta put this thing down. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Like I, it just, I just couldn't stop the train from leaving the station. So I realized one day, I used to, I used to work at this pizza place. I'd ride my bike home at 10 o'clock at night. I'd stop by Video Giant, and Video Giant had two for one VHS every single, every Monday to Thursday, two for one VHS tapes. So I rented movies all the time. And I, I, you might not know this, I love movies. I love movies. And when I was young, I watched hundreds of hours of movies. I, it's, listen, it's crazy the amount of movies I've seen in my life. And I noticed most of the movies I watched were rated R because I just liked them the best. And I realized, man, I can't stop cussing but I am eating a diet of R-rated, swearing-heavy movies. I couldn't stop because it was always in my eyes and always in my ears. I make a promise to God. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to lay down R-rated movies for one year to clean up my mouth, right? 
1994, the worst year to make that covenant before the Lord. There was, it might have been the best year of movies in my lifetime. In one month, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and Shaw's Redemption came out in the theaters. In one month! And I was like, oh Lord, why? Uh, so I make this promise, no R-Ed movies for a month. So it's the summertime, and me and my crew, we would ride bikes to the Dollar Theater and watch movies at the Dollar Theater in town. We loved it, man. We, we could cut the cans and go to the movies. It was the best. And we were so ghetto, we would go into the theater, get popcorn buckets out of the trash, and refill those boys, boy. Don't do that. That's gross. That's gross. That's gross. It was gross. <laughs> Listen. So the crew wants to go see Pulp Fiction. The trailer was some kind of trailer. The guys want to go see the movie. So now how, I, I, made, a, I made a promise to God I'm not going to go. So how do I react in this moment? I'm being invited to an R-rated film. I told God I wouldn't watch these for a year to get my mouth cleaned up. I could go guilt trip style, couldn't I? Man, you guys, you know I'm trying to better my life. I can't be seen as, I don't know why you'd ask me that question. I could guilt him about it. I could guilt him. I could go high and mighty. You guys, we're Christians now. We can't be sticking to R-rated movies because we were underage. So we had to buy it for one place, and you know, you know how it goes. Um, I don't know why we're sticking to movies, man. That's not really honorable to God. I don't know why we're doing this. I could guilt everybody, high and mighty style. So I could choose different ways to engage resisting this cultural moment. Or I could just be humble and gentle about it. Say, hey, guys, man, how about Forrest Gump this week? Tom Hanks? They said no. I said, you know what? This time I can't go, guys. I just be cool about it and not make it a big issue for everybody else. It's tough to be humble about things, to be meek, to be gentle, to not make everything about myself. We all do that. We all do that. We all do that stuff. Listen, even though I don't drink, if someone in my presence drinks, I don't correct them. I'm like, listen, I don't drink, you shouldn't be drinking that in front of me. I'm not going to put that on somebody else. I don't curse, and everyone in my life curses, <laughs> except for my wife and kids. Um, but, uh, I, I, <laughs> good cover. Um, but, I resist, we try to resist, when we resist cultural artifacts, we got to resist them in ways that are humble and gentle. Daniel asked permission not to eat the food. It doesn't take some like stand saying, this food is of the devil, I will not eat. He asked permission. He's like, excuse me, officer, um, this food is really against my religion. I want to know if I can not eat that and eat something else instead. He, he seeks permission. He asks. He pre knows. I am under authority. I'm a slave in this palace. I'm going to ask permission to do this thing. That shows a very humble attitude that many of us do not possess. Nine years ago, eight years ago, eight years ago today, I was in Disney World. That's what my like my my phone says. Memory. And there's pictures, of my, there's pictures of my daughter with Tinkerbell with the most incredible smile I've ever seen. 
So I, I'm a Disney guy. I like Disney stuff. In my life in the last few years, probably four times, I might wax part about Disney and someone goes, I can't believe you support that organization. Because they have this personal conviction. They don't like Disney for some reason. And when I say I do like them, they get their guns up. They want to they fight. How could you? And their personal conviction becomes an attack on my character. How, you're a pastor. How could you support a godless organization like that? Listen. If that organization is, if you don't like it, you don't have to support it. But how you engage others with that conviction is very important. Being a judgmental, arrogant jerk does not look like Jesus. We can be humble and gentle in how we resist culture that might defile us. Do you understand? We resist with humility. Two, when we resist culture, we must do so with wisdom. Look what Daniel does next. He asked the guy in charge, can I not eat this food? Verse 9, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion before the commander of the officials. The guy in charge likes Daniel. God has given him favor. And the commander of the officials says to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. The captain of the guard says, Daniel, you know I love you. You know I want to help you. But if you eat different food than what we're supposed to eat, and when I bring all you youths before the king, and you and your boys, you look gaunt, you look tired and worn, the king's going to say, why do these four look so bad? And they'll say, we didn't eat the, the, the meat or the wine you gave us. He's like, what? Why didn't you eat it? Well, he said I didn't have to. The, the king's going to kill me, not you. I can't put my head literally on the line for this thing. The guy wants to help, but it puts him in a real bad spot. So what does he do? What does Daniel do? Daniel uses his head. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be observed before you and the appearance of the other youths who are eating the king's choice food. And then you deal with your servants according to what you see. This is a smart move by Daniel. He doesn't go all in. He's like, let's take the Pepsi choice. Okay, let's try, the, let's try an experiment. Give me 10 days. Now, this program is a three-year program. He's like, in, in 10 days, let me and my four friends, let us eat veggies and drink water. After 10 days, you look to see if we look haggard, if we look gaunt, if our energy levels are below the other youths. And then we'll do whatever you say. Just give us 10 days. It's a really wise thing. It's a very good deal. The, the, the overseer is like, you know, 10 days. We don't see the king for another two and a half years. If I see it's bad, I gave him the chance. It failed. Now do what everyone else does. Everybody's happy. So the commander takes 
the deal. It's a great deal. We have to be wise in how we resist culture. You got to think through what you're trying to do. For example, one of my great struggles, and I have many of them, I have a smartphone in my pocket. I look at it a lot. Sometimes I feel phantom movements in my pocket, and I pick it up, and it's nothing. Oh, no one texted. Like, it's, it's weird. It's, I don't know. I mean, if you look and your phone will tell you how many times you get it every day, it's a scary number, yo. Like, 418! Oh! Like, it's a lot of big pickups. And for me, one of the, two of the big things that get me are social media. I can look on Facebook or Twitter, and I can just scroll for eternity. Just keep on going. On Twitter, I'm a lurker. I never post. I just, oh, these guys are stupid. I just look for a long time on Twitter. Or what's it called now? X. I look on X. Ooh. I actually, I, use, I, started, I started responding on Twitter, but I, I only, if you look at my Twitter feed, I only ever say one word, boo. If someone, if someone makes me mad, I boo them and I move on. That's dangerous. You shouldn't boo people on Twitter. Sorry, I, I should, but uh, so, so, so these two apps, I noticed they were, I'd, I'd fall on these apps and I would just use them all the time and I, I didn't have much self-control. I was losing hours a day to just scrolling. Like, what do I do? Because listen, I don't think Facebook is evil. I don't think Twitter is evil. They are neutral things in the world. Some people can use those apps. It doesn't control their mind. Like it controls mind. Mind. So, like, what do I do? So, in uh, the phone I happen to have, I can set time limits. And so I get five minutes of Facebook a day. You know, my kids have iPads, and they, turn, like they, have, they, have, they have limitations. They turn off at 8.30 every day. They turn gray. You can't even use them. And they get so mad, like, the iPad turned off. I'm like, that's right. Put it down and be part of our family again. Um, they have limitations. They get like an hour during the week. So an hour every, every Monday through Friday, get an hour of iPad. That's it. And on the weekend, they get three hours. That's, that's good parenting, I think, I hope. But just with my kids, I also have limitations on my device and my wife controls. I get five minutes of Facebook. Why? I had to limit myself because I, I was losing myself this app. So I'm going to be wise. I'm like, how, Facebook, I can see how people are doing. People I love, they're far away. I can see how their lives are. But I can't give myself unrestrained access because it will eat me. So I put a five-minute timer on Facebook and a one-minute timer on Twitter because Twitter is less good for me than Facebook is. And I, that's me being wise. I thought of going smart. I thought of, I thought of going flip phone. Miss Helen, flip phone. Um, I thought of going flip phone. I can't make it too big a leap for me. I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I need the map. I, need, I, I just, I can't go flip phone. But so I realized that the, these things, Facebook and Twitter, were kind of sucking me in and shaping me in their own image, and I had to put them down. And so I had to be wise in how I dealt with that. And that wisdom was, I put a little lock on it. I can't get around that lock, so I get five minutes and one minute. And that's all I got. So if you Facebook me, I'm sorry. This is what it is. Be wise in how you resist culture. 
think creatively. Daniel's like, okay, okay, what do I do? Give me 10 days. Give me, and remember me, my whole, my swearing thing? I'm like, give me a year off R-rated movies. And that year did wonders for my mouth. I actually stopped cursing. How crazy is that? I laid down my PhD. So, when you resist culture, be wise in how you resist it. So be humble and be wise. Now lastly, and this is the big one, when you resist culture, you've got to trust God with your resistance. You've got to trust God with your act of resistance. Listen to verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Here's the rub. Daniel is the short money. Daniel has no protein in his diet. And in the ancient Near East, wine was a safer bet than water. Because water, people use the bathroom in the water. It's full of microbes and stuff. There's no water filter system. So wine is a safer bet than water. Daniel's going, I'm going pure water. Bring on the irregularity. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, this is a bad bet for Daniel. Only veggies, only water. If you were to make a bet, the bet would be easy. They should look. They should be less energy and less healthy at the end of the 10 days. But Daniel goes, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to trust God to honor my commitment. I'm going to trust God to work a miracle on my behalf as I resist this thing in this moment. The test begins, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that their appearance was better, that they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Listen, if you want to gain weight, do you eat veggies or meat? Meat! Give me the meat. Veggies is lose weight food, not gain weight food. And Daniel and his crew eating veggies and water, and we're looking good. And in that world, they don't want to be Calvin Klein six-pack underwear models. In the ancient Near East, you want to be a little chunky to show that you are rich and strong. That's the way it was out there. It's a better world than ours. But <laughs> I'd be the emperor of that world. Uh, but, uh, um, but what I'm saying is this. It shouldn't have worked, but God honored their commitment. The 10 days end, and they look great. And this is what he says. Look, overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them the vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and insight in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. At the end of the days, which the king had spoken of for bringing them in, the commander of the officials brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they stood in service with the king. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king sought from them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his kingdom. God honored their commitment. They entrusted themselves to the Lord. Listen, 
If you choose to resist culture, you might be seen as a weird dude. I'll be out somewhere. Someone will say, dude, go to my Facebook. And I'll be like, I can't. Why not? You've got, you got a phone in your pocket. And I'm like, my Facebook timed out for the day. Like, I sound like an infant. I'm a 42-year-old man. She's like, I timed out. My time's up for the day. I feel ridiculous. Resisting culture, you stand out sometimes. You might, if everyone's going one way and you don't go with them, you might seem to be the odd duck. But if, you, if something culturally is going to defile you and you choose to resist it, you're going to trust the Lord that he's going to be with you when you resist. I had a job when I was in college, and this job I had, we were told to be dishonest to our customers. We were in our training. We were trained to rob our clients. That's bad. It's not good. Now, I was a laborer. I wasn't the, the talker to the, to the customer. I was the, 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 the helper. I didn't say a word. I've regretted that my, for a long time. I watched my boss. I watched him bamboozle many a people. Usually, a woman with no husband, he could rake them over the coals. I think back, what, what, what would I do if I had that job now? If I was a grown man who, they said to me, if you rob people, you'll make more. Would I have the courage to resist and say, I'm not going to do this the way you want me to? I'm not going to intentionally take money out of people's pockets. I'd make less money. And when I chose to do that, I would trust myself into God's hands. God, I'm not going to do this in a wicked way. I trust myself into your hands, that you'll provide what, I, what I'm giving up in this moment of integrity. Jesus models this for us. In 1 Peter 2, in 1 Peter 2, we are told that Jesus, who being reviled, was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. If you choose to resist culture, you might have, you might be an outsider. You might be easily mocked. But if you resist culture, listen, you got to trust that God has your back. That does not mean you're always going to win. As we, we, as we follow Daniel, we will see sometimes you get thrown into the fire, straight up. But at, if we say, listen, this cultural thing is going to defile me, I will not go with it. When you make that choice and take that stand with humility and wisdom, You've got to trust that whatever you do, God's going to honor it. God is going to honor it. I trust the Lord more than the voices of all the people that are around me down here. The Bible says this great line, may 
all men be liars and God be true. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Now, this principle of resisting culture. If you don't resist anything this culture gives you, that means you are consuming everything that comes your way. That's a very bad thing. You can't drink from the water hose of this culture. If you just open yourself to everything this culture has, it's going to defile you. You have to ask the question, what am I accepting? What am I buying? What am I taking part in? And is it good for my soul and my heart? Does this defile me? If it does, how do you resist? How can you with humility and with wisdom entrust yourself to God to resist this particular cultural artifact? We have to be willing to resist. It is a brave thing to do. It is a bold thing to do. And listen, when you take that step of faith, you'll be amazed what God will do on your behalf. With that said, let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that is true. Lord, this world you've made is full of good and beautiful things. We love it, Lord. People that are artistic, make, they, they make great music and great movies and great plays and, and paintings and all these things we get to enjoy. Not everything that's out there is good for our souls. Let us take time to ask the question, is this stuff good for my soul or will it defile my heart? And for those things which defile, give us the courage to resist, to lay it down, to walk away. Father, we love you very much. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.